Andrew Womack Ministries presents this session from the 2013 Humble, Texas Gospel Truth Rally. We pray that the Word of God will come alive in your heart as you listen. Let's turn over to Galatians chapter 1. And I, I felt like the Lord spoke this to me today when I was praying and told me that this is what I needed to share with you tonight. In Galatians chapter 1, Verse 1, it says, Paul, an apostle, not of man, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. You know, I could preach on that for a couple of hours. I'm not going to do it. I need to move on. But we've got so many people today that aren't accountable to God. They're afraid of people. They're afraid to say what the Word says. And most people are, you know, this political correctness has crept into the church and people are afraid that somebody's going to be offended. I just read a survey not long ago that there's like only 60 or 70 percent of evangelical pastors who believe in biblical creationism. But that's still the majority. 60 to 70 percent of evangelical pastors believe in the Bible's account of creation, but they asked how many speak on it and there was less than 40%, 30-something percent have ever taught on it because they're afraid of what the people would say. You know what? They aren't an apostle like Paul is talking about here of Jesus Christ, not by man, but by Jesus Christ. Uh, we need people that will stand up and say the truth. You need to say it in love. I'm not saying we need to be mean-spirited and yell and scream at people, but man, we need people that will stand up and speak the truth. And in verse 2, and it says, And all the brethren which are with me unto the churches of Galatia, grace be unto you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. And I want to focus on that fourth verse. It says that God gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world. Did you know that most people wouldn't say it this way, but the message that the church is presenting is contrary to this. The church as a whole is saying that you need to be born again so that when you die, you won't go to hell, but you'll go to heaven. And it's all about escaping the future judgment. And you know what? That's a wonderful truth that if you make Jesus your Savior, you don't go to hell and you go to heaven. You know, if that's all there was to the gospel, I'd preach it because that's good. That's better than we deserve. But this says that Jesus gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world. It is not all about heaven. And if you're one of those that just sings, when we all get to heaven, what a day that will be. But man, in the rough now and now, you just are not able to make it. You're just holding on. The church that I grew up in, we had a song that we sang that says, hold the fort for I'm coming. <laughs> and it gave the picture of us being just besieged and we're just barely holding on. But you know, we limp into heaven, but nonetheless you make it and someday it'll all be worth it. That is not the picture that this is painting. Jesus gave himself for our sins, not just so that when you die, you would experience victory, but in this life to deliver you from this present evil world, not the one to come. 
Christians were meant to have victory in this life, not just in the one to come. And I'm telling you, God wants you to succeed. There's just so many scriptures that go along with this. Over in 1 John chapter 4, it says, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Whosoever believes in him overcomes the world. And this is the victory, even our faith. God wants you to be the head and not the tails, what Deuteronomy chapter 28 says, above and not beneath. How many people do you walk up to and say, how are you? And they say, well, not too bad under the circumstances. I always want to say, what are you doing under there? You're supposed to be above only and not beneath. Circumstances aren't an excuse for us not experiencing victory. Jesus wants you to live victorious. And did you know, as I start talking about this and trying to encourage you on this tonight, I can guarantee you there's people right here that you're saying, you know what, you're condemning people that have problems in their life and people who are struggling and people who may have financial problems or going through a divorce or, or physical problems and you're condemning, you aren't loving those people. Man, I love you. I'm not trying to condemn anybody. I'm just trying to say that you shouldn't stay there. Anybody can have a problem. Matter of fact, if you've got problems, if Satan fights you physically, emotionally, financially, or whatever, this isn't an indication that you're a bad person or not a faith person or something like that. It could be an indication that you're on the front lines. People on the front lines get shot at, amen. amen. Paul had problems come against him, but he overcame them. Man, in the midst of prison, he was put in prison. He would just start singing and praising God. And God got so excited, got to tapping his foot and an earthquake came and it opened up all of the prison doors and set all of it, broke all of their chains. And praise God, they saw the jailer and all the people in there born again. I'm not saying that you're immune from problems, but I am saying that you ought to be above them. You ought to be able to overcome them. If you've been fought with some physical thing, don't feel bad about it, but don't embrace it and accept that this is just the lot of Christians. The Word of God teaches us that He heals all of our diseases. Matthew chapter 8, it was a quotation from uh, Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4, where it says, by His stripes we are healed. And it quoted it, Jesus quoted it in Matthew chapter 8. And it says, this is the fulfillment of the prophecy which uh, was spoken by Isaiah saying, He Himself gave, uh, healed our, how does that go? Matthew 8, 17. Can you put that up there? <laughs> I forgot it. Matthew 8, 17. This is the fulfillment of the prophecy which was spoken by Isaiah saying uh, that he himself bore our infirmities and carried our sicknesses, I believe is the way it's put. That's either verse 16 or 17. But that was a quotation and Jesus healed us of that. Amen? So I'm not saying that if you've had a sickness come at you that it's somehow or another an indication that you aren't a believer, but God wants you well and healing is available and you can draw on that and Christians ought to be well. Christians ought to be prosperous. Christians should be rejoicing and praising God. And sad to say, there's, if you were to arrest the average Christian for being a Christian, there wouldn't be enough evidence of it to convict them. The average Christian is as poor and worried about finances as the non-Christian when the... Uh, Financial crisis, this great uh, recession, quote unquote hit. Did you know that the average Christian started planning on defeat 
and stuff exactly the same as everybody else. When businesses started closing, when things started happening, Christians started worrying about their job and having the same fears and the same emotional problems as people that don't know God. I can guarantee you there's people sitting right here that you went through the exact same pressure, the exact same stress. You worried about your job and lay off just the same as anybody else. And that should not be so with a Christian. The Bible teaches us that he is the source of everything. And you know what? Even if you were to lose your job, God will open up something else and give it to you. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, that he supplies all of our need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. God is not limited or constrained to the United States economy. And you can prosper while everybody else is going down. You know, recently my wife and I have lost some money in the stock market. We had an inheritance from her father and we invested some money. And so, you know, it's not like I do everything perfectly. But when uh, October of 2008 happened and the stock market went down 50%, did you know in the next six months I made 61% profit Woo! on all of our investments? With the market going down 50%, I made 61% profit. And people say, you can't do that. Well, don't wake me up because that's what I did. <laughs> and see, Christians, they just think that, but you know, we can't, if there's a recession going on, we can't prosper. You know, I don't know a lot about the Texas economy, but I know that you were hard hit with the uh, real estate stuff and there was problems here. And I guarantee you, there's people that just anticipated problems. And yet there's people that are still prospering. We got Rick and Mitzi Pudlow here. They're on one of our DVDs about, what was it? Financial breakthroughs is the name. They're prospering hand over fist and God's blessing them. Not everybody's gone down. You do not have to be limited to this world's economy. You know, when this financial problem hit is when the Lord told me that we need, we were, I was thinking too small and I needed to start dreaming bigger. So we're in the process of building a $53 million campus for our Bible college and all of these things. And I'm doing it debt free and we've increased our monthly expenses about a million dollars by going on new television and all of these things. So it would take a million dollars extra over where we were in 2008 just to pay our normal bills. And on top of that, we are raising $53 million to build this thing. The first phase is $32 million and I'm only seven million away from that. So we've raised 25 million extra in the last two and a half years above our normal $2 million budget. And we're prospering. And people say, you can't do that. Well, we're doing it. And then there's other, you know, there's just people that want to believe that it won't work for them. They look for excuses. There's other people that say, well, you're a preacher and people just give money to you. Well, I can show you hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of preachers that ha haven't got money given to them. I can show you lots of my friends. Matter of fact, in Colorado Springs, we have like 150 parachurch ministries and we have access to many of them. And there's not a single one of them that I know of that actually have increased or stayed steady since uh, the economic downturn, the vast majority of them started immediately planning on a 15 to 20, 25% decrease. And guess what? They got it. 
For you to just write it off and say, well, it's, it's because you're a preacher and it just things work for you. That's not true. People say, well, you're on television and people support you differently. I can show you lots of television ministries that have gone on. I'm just saying that you can try and get around this, but it is an absolute miracle. Our finances have doubled in the last four years during the worst economic time and all of this. And it's because I believe that Jesus gave himself for our sins, for my sins, so that he could deliver me from this present world system. I, it's not all about when we all get to heaven, in the sweet by and by, but in the rough now and now, if you can believe it, God will give you victory. And you can prosper during an economic downturn if you would quit limiting God. We are the ones that limit him. God is limited by us. Look at this verse over in Deuteronomy chapter 7. This is Moses rehearsing the things that God had done for the, for the children of Israel. He was getting ready to go up into Mount Nebo and this was going to be the end of his life. And he was giving last minute instructions to the Jews right before he died and they got ready to enter into the promised land. And in Deuteronomy chapter 7, I'm breaking right into the midst of it, but it's, it's Moses rehearsing that God had promised them absolute victory in the conquest of the land of Canaan, that nobody would be able to stand before them. And so uh, here's some of the things that the Lord said um, in verse 14, Deuteronomy 7:14. Thou shalt be blessed above all people. There shall not be male or female barren among you or among your cattle. Man, that's a great blessing. And did you know what, what they had was inferior to what we have? And so if this worked for them under the old covenant, then what we have under the new covenant is even better. You can stand on this verse and I guarantee you, you can have children when they say that you can't have children. Regina gave a testimony at the Bible college today about a girl that they prayed for that was 19 years old, I think, and she had had one ovary removed and uh, had cancer in the other one and they were gonna remove it. And she said, nope, we can pray and believe. And she prayed and that woman is now pregnant and having a child, amen. After he's, It's impossible. I don't know how God did it, but I'm sure he came by it honest, amen. <laughs> Man, you can stand on this and I don't care what's happened to you. God made you to be a world overcomer and his power is available. It's not God that's limited. It's us that won't stretch out and believe God. We're afraid that we might be disappointed. You know, it's very similar to our kids. We used to have people that won trophies because they performed well and this person did good and this person did bad. Now we're afraid to let anybody get a trophy. We give everybody a trophy for being a good sportsman and we don't want anybody to feel bad. And it's the same philosophy. There's a lot of people that just won't believe God for anything because after all, you might be disappointed and you don't want to be disappointed. You know, just pull your thumb out of your mouth and grow up and run the risk. There's some of us that are so afraid of failure. You're already a failure if you aren't believing for something big. You know, God is an awesome God. He's a big God. And if you can look at your life and say, well, I think I can manage my retirement. I've got this. I'm doing this. My job will supply my need. Everything's fine. I've got everything budgeted and I think I can do it. Then it's not God. If your life will work 
on your ability, it's, you hadn't found God's will for your life. God's going to call you to do something that's bigger than you. God's a big God. And I can guarantee you his will for every person in this room is bigger than you. And if you can look and say, well, I did this and my ability did this, then you've never tapped into God's ability. God is going to call you to go beyond yourself. God is going to call you to believe for something that's bigger than yourself. You need to be believing big. There's people that accept that, well, God must not want us to have children. And so then they say, well, we, we're supposed to adopt. Well, if God doesn't want you to have children, why would you go adopt and get out of his will? That's the same logic. People say, well, God must have given me this cancer. It's God's will. God's getting glorified. Well, if that's true, why would you go to the doctor and try and get out of God's will? Amen. Am I saying that you shouldn't adopt? Am I saying that you shouldn't go to a doctor? I'm just saying that that's stupid thinking. If you really believe God made you sick, then just stay sick. Don't take any medication. Don't go to the doctor and learn your lesson. Get the full impact of it. I'm not saying that that's what you should do, but I'm saying that, see, we've just been, we've been taught, basically, religion has given us a million excuses why you will not see the supernatural power of God in your life. And they come, I mean, religion is masters of making people feel comfortable with uh, less than what God wanted. It says over in Matthew chapter six in what's commonly called the Lord's Prayer, it says, you know, um, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's part of what Jesus told us to pray is for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And if you aren't familiar with the scriptures, it says in heaven, there won't be any more sorrow. There won't be any more crying. There won't be any more sickness. There won't be any suffering. There won't be any pain. God's will is not for you to have pain. And yet religion has come along and said, oh no, God's the one that put all this pain on you. If you really believe that, then just suffer to the max. Don't go to the doctor. Don't try and get over it. Just let it run its course. And of course that's silly. That's not what we should do because God wants you to prosper. God did not create man to be as messed up as we see today. And many of us just look around, we take an inventory and we kind of figure that we're just average. And so what do you see the average Christian doing? Most of them are sick. Most of them are poor. Most of them are worried. Most of them are fearful. And so if that's the way it is, well, I guess that's the way it's going to be with me. And then we make doctrines that God sends you into the valley because it's in the valley where the fruit grows. You can't always stay on the mountaintop. And we come up with these doctrines and it's just rubbish. It's foolish. The Bible says that Jesus would exalt the valleys and make the mountains and hills low. And if you bring the mountains and hills down and the valleys up, that means it's just smooth sailing. That's what God's will for us is. Now we've got an enemy out there and you are going to have trouble. And when you do, don't feel like that somehow or another you're inferior. It's just the devil fighting against you. It's just in a fallen world. But if you will exalt, exert your faith and believe God, you can always triumph over these things. You can win over depression and over poverty and over sickness and over all of these things. God wants you to live a victorious life. He gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil world, which includes not a single one of us being barren. You got scripture to stand on. Not a single person, not one. 
Not one. Did you know when the Jews came out of the land of Egypt, it says there wasn't one feeble person among them. And they had been in slavery for hundreds of years. They had been oppressed, and yet every single person was well. You know why? Because when they ate the Passover, which the Lord's Supper is a portion of that, it produced physical healing. While they were eating this, the supernatural healing power of God entered into them, and there wasn't one feeble person among three million Jews that came out of the land of Egypt. And that's under an inferior covenant. Christians ought to be in health. And you know, I'm going to have a ministry time tonight to pray for healing. We've seen some people heal. We saw a woman, I think it was this lady right here that it had, I don't know if it was you or not, but you're the one that had pain for 20 something years, shooting pain. She had brain tumor, eye problems, fibromyalgia, COPD. I don't know. She had something from, she needed an overhaul from the top of her head to the bottom of her feet. And you know what? We prayed with her in 20 years with, with nothing but pain, day and night, and she was healed. And the pain's gone. Isn't that awesome? God wants every one of us well. That is, should not be an exception. That ought to be for all of us. And it goes on to say in the next verse, in verse 15, and the Lord will take away from thee all sickness and will put none of the evil diseases of Egypt, which thou knowest upon thee, but will lay them upon all them that hate thee. This is a promise of no sickness. It says over in Psalms chapter 91 that no plague will come nigh your dwelling. Again, am I condemning anybody who has sickness or something? No, but I'm saying you're putting up with something that Jesus redeemed you from it. And if you would stir yourself up and begin to recognize that he wants you well, that's the first step to getting free. But again, most of us have been taught to embrace this and say, oh God, this is you sending this sickness to make me better. No, the devil comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. Satan is trying to kill you. God hasn't put sickness and poverty upon you and divorce and things like this to make you better. It's the devil trying to destroy you. And you can overcome those things. Amen. I'm preaching better than you're listening. Some of you are thinking, well, that condemns me because you've got some problem in your life. I'm not condemning you. I'm just telling you the good news. You know what's good news to a person that's sick? You don't have to be sick anymore. You know what good news is to a person that's poor? You don't have to be poor anymore. You know what good news is to a person that's just been beat up by the devil? That you don't have to let the devil beat you up. You can resist him and he'll flee from you. I'm not condemning you, but I'm saying that brothers and sisters, we're settling for less. As long as you can put up with being sick, you will. As long as you can put up with poverty, you will be poor. As long as you can put up with the devil just beating you up, then you will have him beat you up. But when you begin to start resisting the devil and fighting against the devil, he will flee from you. And this is something that I find missing in the average Christian's life. They are not adamant about this is mine and I am not going to settle for less. I am going to have what God has promised me. The average Christian thinks that that's a wrong attitude, that somehow or another you might be rebelling against God because after all, God's the one that does these things. He allows all of these things. God is sovereign and nothing happens but what he permits it. That is not true. 
I just said something right there that offends 90% of the body of Christ and I hadn't got time to explain it, but it is not true. God does not control everything that happens in your life. God gave you control. This is what I was talking about in that book about the discover the keys to staying full of God. It's up to you how full of God you are. It's up to you how anointed you are. It's up to you how happy you are. It's up to you how, how well you are and how prosperous you are. God's not the one that determines those things. You determine it. Not through your own natural strength and power, but just through believing God and learning and cooperating and allowing God to flow through you. Man, this is awesome. None of the sickness, none of these diseases is coming upon us. That's our inheritance. You do not have to be afraid of cancer. You don't have to be afraid of all of these incurable diseases. And yet the average Christian hasn't been taught that. The average Christian has been taught, but I'm only human. We sing songs, Lord, I'm only human. I'm just a man. One day at a time, sweet Jesus, that's all I'm asking for you. Help me to hold on in the sweet by and by. Further along, we'll know all about it. But right now, we just are dead in the water. And we sing songs like this and we've been made to embrace this. I'm telling you, you need to recognize God wants you to win. He gave himself for your sins so that you could win. And we are not glorifying God by that. You know, I prayed with a woman tonight who was battling cancer and she's just, I mean, according to the doctors, just days, moments away from dying. And I went out to their motorhome and prayed with them. And I have compassion for this lady. I understand how she feels. She's got tremendous pain and stuff. But you know, I was ministering to her some of this same stuff that you've got to fight this. She's a Christian. She knows where she's going if she was to die. And so she was willing to just give up and go. And I was saying, God wants you well. If you think it's your time to go get healed, glorify God and then go home. Go home well. You don't have to be sick to die. You can just give up the ghost the way Jesus did. And I was trying to encourage her to believe God, to stir yourself up. I'm not upset and if she dies, it's not a statement that she wasn't a good person. She loves God and anybody can take a shot on the front lines and there's no disgrace to it. But I'm telling you, God wants us to win. The Lord gave himself so that we could win and we just are passive. You've got to stir yourself up. It says, well, I tell you what, I'm going in a million different directions right now. <laughs> I'll try and save that one for just a few minutes. Let me get to this verse I was trying to get to. In verse 16, it says, And thou shalt consume all of the people which the Lord thy God shall deliver thee. Thine eye shall have no pity upon them, neither shalt thou serve their gods, for that will be a snare unto thee. You know, today we aren't physically fighting a battle and going out and conquering people, but we are trying to conquer the opposition. With Satan is coming against us, and you know what? We shouldn't have any pity on him. You need, to get, you need to get to where you hate sickness. Did you know most people don't hate sickness? They embrace sickness. They really do. You may not have thought about it, but most of us have been taught to be passive and figure that this is just our lot in life. And well, I'm getting older. And once you're over 40, you know, you just start expecting aches and pain. You start making jokes about it and talking about it and we embrace it. I tell you what, Moses was 120 years old and his natural force wasn't abated nor his eyesight dim. 
And if Moses under an inferior covenant still had good eyesight at 120 and still could climb a mountain at 120 and go up and lay down and die, well, then you should be able to do that. But see, we've been taught to embrace it and we say, but it's the flu season. Everybody gets the flu. So you go out and you start planning on the flu. Anyway, I could spend all night on this, but it's, brothers and sisters, we aren't taking advantage of what God has given us. We're thinking, well, I'm only human. I'm not only human. One third of me is wall to wall Holy Ghost. I've got God living on the inside of me. And somebody's thinking, well, you arrogant thing. Hadn't you ever read that verse in John chapter 15, I believe it's verse four, that says, without me, you can do nothing. You aren't anything. Jesus is the only one that makes things work. Well, that's absolutely true. Without Jesus, I'm nothing. I believe that. But you know what? I'm never without Jesus. He'll never leave me nor forsake me. And for me to just separate myself and say, but in myself, I'm not. Well, that's true, but I'm not in myself. I'm in Christ and I'm not coming out. Amen. And I should expect to get some different results. I'm trying to stir you up tonight. If you don't get stirred up, you're going to sink to the bottom. That's right where a lot of us live is just on the bottom wondering about why things are so bad. You got to stir yourself up. Look at this next verse in verse 17. It says, if thou shalt say in thine heart, these nations are more than I, how can I dispossess them? Did you know the way most people read that is that if the Israelites were to say in their heart, these nations are mightier than I, then God says, or excuse me, then, um, then the people go on and say, how can I dispossess them? These people are mightier than I, how can I dispossess them? But what this is actually saying, if you look at it, it would, it would raise a question that it never answered unless this is the way it's said. It's saying if, these, if the Jewish people say these nations are mightier than I, then it's God saying, how can I dispossess them? God is limited in what he can do to the faith and the power that is working in you. If these people were to say, these nations are mightier than I, God, I can't do it, then you stop the power of God. God had already promised them victory. As a matter of fact, you can go over to the second chapter of the book of Joshua. I'm not going to take time to turn over there, but when the children of Israel finally sent the spies in 40 years after the first time and they sent the spies in under Joshua, they went into Rahab's house and Rahab said, we heard about the Lord drying up the Red Sea and about all of these things. And she said that the moment we heard of this, our heart melted within us and there was no longer any spirit left in us because we knew that God had given the land unto you. Did you know she was talking about 40 years before? The, the Israelites looked at the giants and they were afraid and they said, how can we do this? And they stopped the power of God. But the truth is 40 years later, they hear that the people, their heart had melted and God had given them the land. If they would have entered in and have done what God told them, it would have been a cakewalk. The people were totally afraid of them. It would have been much easier 40 years before than it was 40 years later. They missed out on God's best and they lived in the wilderness and they suffered with all of the plagues and all of these things that never was God's will for them. 
It was only 11 days journey from Egypt into the promised land. And they spent 40 years covering that distance because of their doubt and their unbelief. God said, if you say these nations are mightier than I, then God was saying, how can I dispossess them? God is limited to what he can do through us. A lot of people do not like that because they say, well, man, you're making me responsible. You're saying it's my fault. Yep, that's what I said. And you know what? There's a lot of people that can't tolerate this because they thought, well, you're saying that this person that died is because they weren't trusting you and they weren't believing God that they settled for less. Yep, that's what I'm saying. And you know what? A lot of people just can't take that. It's just too much responsibility. They don't want to feel that responsibility. It, they want to just sit in front of their TV and be entertained. Couch potato. They don't want to have to get up and start studying the Word and standing and fighting and believing God. You know, when I first learned about healing, and I'm not saying that everybody has to do exactly what I did, but you have to have this attitude. You have to go through this process. It's the same, I believe, for everybody. But I had been taught that sickness was normal, that it was actually from God, that God used sickness. I was told that God's the one that took my dad when I was 12 years old, that it was God's will that he died. And I'd been, I had this stuff ingrained in me. And when I started learning these truths, you know what, it was hard. It, it took effort for me to change the way that I thought. And I remember getting something like the flu. I didn't go to the doctor and find out what it was, but I had all of the fever and the hurt and the aches and the pains and all of this stuff. And I knew that the scripture said, you got to resist the devil and he'll flee from you. And the word resist means to actively fight against. So I wasn't going to lay in bed and say, I'm resisting the devil. Amen. That's not resisting the devil. That's giving in. I was going to act like I was well. And anyway, I had so much pain. I wasn't going to go to bed, but I couldn't stand up. And so I had to get on my hands and knees on the floor. And it was at night, but I was going to get well at night. I wasn't going to stay sick and let it run two or three days. So I was on the floor. I couldn't stand up. I hurt so bad. And I, I was sleepy. And so I had to get on my hands and knees and put my Bible in front of me. And I started quoting, by his stripes, I am healed. If I was healed, then I am healed. And I quoted all of these scriptures that he wishes above all things that I be in, pro be in health and prosper, even as my soul prospers. And I just began to quote these. And all night long, eight hours during the night, I stayed on my hands and knees and pushed the Bible around on the floor with my nose, quoting scripture. People say, how do you know where those scriptures are? You do that for eight hours some night and you'll know where those verses are. <laughs> if you're having trouble remembering scripture, it's because you hadn't really lived it yet. You live it and you'll, you'll know where they are. And anyway, I did that for eight hours and fought the flu. And somebody says, man, why didn't you take a pill and go to sleep? Well, you know what? If I don't start fighting the flu, then what, you know, and if I wait until cancer comes, something that's beyond the medical profession, and that's the first time I've ever tried to use my faith, I'm going to be anemic. Man, you need to start fighting headaches and colds 
and using the Word of God. I mean, where are you going to draw the line? When are you going to start believing God? After the, you know, the fight is on, after the city's already invaded, when your house is on fire, then you're going to go try and put it out? You need to start someplace. I just decided that I'm not going to have sickness in my life, the flu or anything else. And so for eight hours, I was on my hands and knees pushing the Bible around. But you know what? By the time the sun came up, I was well. It didn't last a week. It didn't last three or four days. I got over it. And did you know I'm still benefiting from that effort that I put into it? You've got to do something to stir yourself up and recognize that it's not God who's letting you be sick. It's not God who's not answering. It's us that's not receiving. And you've got to stir yourself up. Over in uh, Ephesians chapter 3, let me use this verse. In Ephesians chapter 3, he prays a prayer that your understanding would open up, that you through love would be able to comprehend. And then he said this in verse 20, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think. Do y'all believe that? That's wrong. It says, He's able to do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think according to the power that works in us. That means that God's power is limited to what you allow to work through you. If you don't stir yourself up, if you aren't believing God, if you're just praying and saying, oh God, the doctor says I'm gonna die and you're crying and oh God, I'm pitiful, I'm in desperate need, please help me. There's no power working in you. There's the power of fear the power of depression and all of these kind of things. But it's not the power of faith. It's not the power of love. Thank you for that one. That's right. <laughs> Most people don't like this responsibility. But I'm telling you that God's done His part. It's done. We've got to stir ourselves up. You've got to start believing. It says that he's able to do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think according to the power that works in you. You've got to start believing God. You've got to take the limits off of God. You know, I've got a tape series. I don't know if we brought it with us, but I've got a tape uh, CD series entitled uh, Taking the Limits Off God Times 10. And that's a testimony that in 2002, God told me I was limiting him by my small thinking. And so in 2012, 10 years later, I gave a comparison of what happened when I made that decision and how our ministries changed. And I could, I could spend the rest of the night teaching on that. But I mean, we have increased well over 10 times in the last 10 years. We had 30 employees at that time. Now I have about 230 something in Colorado Springs and we have hundreds of other employees all over the world. We are making an impact. It's just, it's phenomenal what has happened. The change. Our income was around, I don't know, $80,000 a month. Now we're getting usually around $3 million a month in 10 years. And you know what happened? God didn't change. God didn't bless me. God didn't give a double portion. The Lord told me I was limiting him by my small thinking. And I had to start thinking differently. And I called my staff together and I told them, I said, I don't, know how, I don't know how to change the way I think, but I said, I'm gonna do it. And I said, I don't know if it takes a week, a month, a year, 
or whatever, but I'm going to start thinking big and I will do what God called me to do. And within one month, my entire life was turned right side up. Everything began to work. Things that I'd been trying to do for 10 years happened within a month. And I found out that it wasn't God who was my problem. It was my small thinking. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, we live in a world that is absolutely just trying to play it safe and get by with this little, we're so afraid of failure. I had somebody come up this morning or maybe it was, I don't know, but anyway, it was in the last day or so and they asked me what I thought about being on welfare and taking government money. And I said, you know what? You can do whatever you want to do. I said, if you've paid money in, take it out. I said, I'm not against it, but I said, boy, you shouldn't limit yourself to that. I said, man, if you are depending upon social security, if you are looking to the government to pay your medical bills, you are shooting at nothing and hitting it every time. I said, that is pitiful. I said, if you're there, do what you got to do. But I said, don't stay there. Man, people that vote for people just so that they can have medical, so that they can get free medicine. Quit looking that way. Get healed and don't have to take medicine. That's a lot better. But you know what? We've just been dumbed down to where let's just do as little. We're just human and we expect nothing and you look to other people to subsidize you and take care of things. I opted out of Social Security when I was 20 years old. I don't pay into it. I'll never get anything out of it. And I guarantee you I'll have many, 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 many times more money coming in in my old age than those of you that are dependent on Social Security. Hallelujah. Am I against Social Security? No, I'm just saying don't limit God to Social Security. Believe God bigger than that. God is bigger than the United States government. He's bigger than your job. He's bigger than any sickness or disease. Don't try and deal with life in just human terms. Believe God for something big. Stand on these promises. And he can do exceeding abundantly above anything you could ask or think, but it's according to the power that works in you. If you don't stir yourself up and start believing God for something, you aren't going to have it. If you watched my television program this morning, I didn't see it, but I had some people tonight tell me what I was teaching on my television program. And I was talking about your imagination and how you've got to see these things. You've got to see God's will for your life. Most people are shooting at nothing and hitting it every time. You need to start shooting for the stars. And if you miss, you land on the moon. You beat most people. Amen. Well, I'm afraid that I might get my hopes up. You need to get your hopes up. But I might be disappointed. It's just grow up. It's just part of life that, you know, I saw a thing on television about some guy's daughter didn't make it into college and she was just heartbroken because she didn't make it to college. And I just wanted to say, grow up, get used to it. You are going to have some disappointments. Go up, reapply again, go to a different college, do something else. But you know what? Most people, rather than get their hopes up, they just wouldn't even apply for college. They wouldn't do anything because I might be disappointed. Amen or oh me. Look over here in Matthew chapter 11. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. Matthew chapter 11.
And he says in verse 12, and from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence and the violent take it by force. You know, this used to be problematic to me. I couldn't understand until I started seeing these things that I'm talking about right here. And what the Lord is saying is that the kingdom of heaven is under attack. God's kingdom, if you are a Christian, if you believe in morals today, then you have a big old target on you. You are politically incorrect. You are the only segment of society that is politically correct to persecute. And you are under attack. We are, the kingdom of heaven is under attack, not only politically and things like that, but the devil is just against you. And you are going to have things happen to you that wouldn't have happened to you if you weren't a believer. When you become a believer, you got a huge old target on your back and the devil is just going to come against you and try and steal away the word. And so the kingdom of heaven is suffering violence and those who see the kingdom of heaven succeed and overcome are the violent people. You've got to be violent in your attitude. This isn't talking about violent in the sense that you're angry and bitter and hurt people. It's just talking about your resolve. You've got to get to a place where I'm not going to put up with this. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I'm not going to live this way. I am not going to let the devil beat me up and do this to me and to my family. And you've got to get angry. You need to stir yourself up. And there's not a lot of Christians that will do that because in the first place, We've been lied to and many people believe, but it's God that caused this problem in my life. That's not true. And then we think, but you know, I've just got to patiently take all of these things. No, God gave himself for your sins to deliver you from these things. And you've got to stir yourself up and get angry. James chapter four, verse seven says, submit yourselves therefore unto God. That's half of the verse. And then the next part says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. The word resist means to get angry, to get violent, to use force. When you say, dear devil, please leave me alone, that is not <laughs> resisting the devil. Most Christians are passive. Most, the vast majority of people that come to me, they try and present themselves as pitifully as they can and they try and let me know that, man, this is serious. Would you please help me? And it, they're just, it's all they can do. And I have nothing. I can do nothing. I've prayed. It hasn't worked. Would you please do so? Would you agree with me? And I want to say, if I agree with you, you're going to die because you're saying that you don't have any power. You can't do anything about it. And you have just run up a white flag and surrendered. I said, man, I don't need to agree with you. You need to agree with me. You need to come into agreement with me. You need to stir yourself up. Look at this passage over in Ephesians chapter four. You need to look at this in your Bible. Most people have totally misinterpreted this. You ought to see this and underlined it and scratch out all that other stuff that you've written beside this. In Ephesians chapter four, in verse 26, it says, be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Did you know that the traditional way that this is interpreted is that God knows we're human and that we can't live in total victory. He knows you're going to get mad. Just make sure you get it confessed every night before you go to bed. 
Don't go over 24 hours with anger in your heart. But God knows you're human and He'll tolerate ang anger. Just get it confessed before the sun goes down every night. Man, that is wrong. The Lord, this doesn't give approval for you being in the flesh and angry as long as the sun's up. You just got to get it confessed before the sun sets. That's not what this verse is talking about. This is talking about be angry and sin not. In other words, there is a godly anger. There is an anger that isn't sin. Whether you know it or not, everybody has a capacity for anger. This isn't a trait of just evil people. Good people can get mad. Jesus got mad. Jesus made a whip out of leather and put little strips of things in it, a cat of nine tails, and he beat people with the whip, not once, but twice. It happened at the first and at the end of his ministry. And Jesus didn't sin. It wasn't wrong. It says, the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. He was consumed with a godly anger against these people who had turned the temple into just a place of selling and doing all of these things and, and lying and stealing. And he got mad and beat people and drove them out, overturned their tables, ruined their whole display. <laughs> and some people think, well, that wasn't godly. And he was God. This was Jesus. Jesus didn't sin. There is a righteous anger. There's some things that you ought to be angry about. You ought to be angry about some things that are happening in this nation. We ought to be angry that this nation was founded on Christian principles and it's going in the opposite direction. It ought to make you angry. If you aren't angry at some of the things that are going on, you aren't paying attention. You should be angry. Now, you shouldn't let that anger get you to the point that you're depressed and discouraged because in the end we win. And so you shouldn't let it get to you, but there is a righteous anger. That's what this is talking about. Be angry and sin not. You can get angry without sinning. There is a righteous anger. And then it goes on to say, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. This is talking about don't ever, ever, ever let your wrath subside. Keep it awake. Don't let it go to sleep. Don't put it to bed. Stir yourself up. Get angry at something. Get to a point where I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I'm sick and tired of hearing everybody else do all of these things and not saying something. You should get angry. There is a righteous anger. And then the next verse says, neither give place to the devil. If you aren't angry, if you don't hate sickness, that's the reason that Satan has right in your life is because you don't hate it. You can tolerate it. You put up with it. You allow things and you think, well, it's not too bad. I can tolerate these things. The moment you do that, you just gave place to the devil. Did you know that arthritis never came on anybody like a seizure? You just don't wake up one time and boom, you got arthritis. You know what? It comes in one little joint. 
And you well, that's not too bad. You tolerate that. And then it gets into the next joint. And then it just goes and it just keeps going as long as you tolerate it. If you would draw the line, the very first joint that ever hurts and say, no, I'm not going to allow a single joint in my body to have pain. I refuse this. And if you got angry and put up with it, you would be resisting the devil and he will flee from you. But when you aren't resisting the devil, you are giving place to the devil and you let him in just one joint at a time, one headache at a time, one problem at a time, and you just allow it. Your eyesight doesn't go all at once. It goes a little bit at a time and you just keep going and, and tolerating it. You can live with it and so you keep doing it. And You know what? Moses was 120 years old and still had perfect eyesight. If Moses could do that under the Old Testament, you can do it under the New Testament. Is God mad at you if you wear glasses? No, God's not mad at you. I'm not mad at you. You can wear glasses. You can look at the world through glass if you want to. There's nothing wrong with it. God's not upset with anybody. Don't take your glasses off because I'm preaching on them. But I'm just saying that you, you're putting up with something that you don't have to put up with. You can have perfect eyesight. You can have perfect hearing. You don't have to let everything just go south the older you go. Amen. You can take that any way you want it. You can overcome stuff, but you've got to start taking some responsibility. And I tell you, this attitude of just saying that Jesus died to deliver me from this present evil world, and this is my right. I don't have to be barren. I don't have to have a single sickness in my body. He has delivered me and this is my right. He's going to supply my need according to his riches and glory. I am going to be above only and not beneath. I'm going to be the head and not the tail. I'm going to prosper when nobody else prospers. I've got the favor of God. And if you would get these things and then start standing for it and building yourself up and encouraging yourself and get angry at this stuff, you would find Satan would flee from you. You're the one with the authority and power. Satan does not have the right to do to you what he's doing. He has to get your consent and your cooperation to destroy your life. He can't do it without your willing participation. Now you may not want the end results, but you have allowed the devil to have inch by inch just inroad into your life. You have tolerated and you need to get angry. You know, some of you have seen my video about Nikki Oshinsky and she's the girl that was sent home by the doctors. We interviewed her doctor on this video. We've got four videos out there, Healing Journeys and uh, hers was on the very first one. We've got the foresights over here. Scott is the one that saw Nikki's testimony, wasn't it? Oh, it was Hannah Teradez. Well, she's also on that one. That's a great one. But anyway, Scott saw Hannah's testimony and Scott is on one of our, test, uh, one of our deals. Hold your hand up, Scott, so they can, everybody can see who you are. And Scott had a similar thing and was unable to eat. And I don't know, it, it was headed towards, I mean, he couldn't eat and it was serious, serious problem. And you know what? He stirred himself up. It was his sister, I think, that came in and encouraged him and believed. And you know what? They stirred up themselves up and believed and he was healed of this incurable problem. And today he's alive and well and he's graduating from high school and coming to Karis Bible College. Amen. 
But that's not God that all of a sudden healed him. God healed him 2,000 years ago and he had to see somebody's testimony and he got stirred up and he reached out and that's when his healing came to pass. But anyway, on Nikki's testimony, Nikki was sent home by the doctors. She was unable to lift her hand. She couldn't brush her hair. She couldn't eat. She couldn't feed herself, couldn't go to the bathroom by herself. She had to have people help her do everything. She'd been in this state for nearly four or five years. She was uh, laying flat of her back. She had all of these chemical reactions. One time a man with cologne came in and just the smell of that cologne sent her to the hospital and she nearly died. She only had 11 foods on the planet that she could eat. And she was dying. She was very close. The doctor said he never expected to see her the next week at the appointment. And anyway, I went over and prayed for her and I didn't know the total situation until I saw the video, how bad it was. I just knew that she was in bad shape and it was obvious that she was laying there and couldn't do anything. And I prayed for her and I knew it was God's will for her to be well. It's never God that doesn't heal a person, ever. It never, ever, ever, ever is God that doesn't heal. It's people that don't receive and it can be for myriad reasons. It can be because you've been taught wrong and you're taught that God put this on you to teach you something. You've been taught that it's your lot in life. You're like Job and this is uh, your punishment. This is your Paul's thorn in the flesh and God gave this to you. And people have all kinds of weird things that keep them from receiving. I knew it wasn't God that hadn't healed her and I just somehow or another needed to stir Nikki up she had been in that state for four or five years and, and I just started praying righteous indignation into her. I said, you need to get angry. You need to get mad. I said, this isn't God's will for your life. She was 19 years old and had been flat of her back for four years, had missed out on everything. And I said, this isn't God's will for your life. You need to hate this. And I just started praying anger into her and she got so stirred up. She saw a vision. I didn't find out about this till later, but I'm sure that helps stir her up. <laughs> and uh, anyway, she got so mad, she pulled those covers off. She hadn't been able to lift her hand and she pulled the covers off and threw her, I was kneeling beside her. She was on a cot and she threw her arm across my chest and knocked me out of the way. And then she stood up and she started walking and she hadn't walked in a long, long time. And she was wobbling and shaking and she walked over to her dad and then she was headed for her mother. And as she walked by me, she, she said, and I don't want to shake anymore either. And she was mad. Like, I don't want to shake anymore either. And I said, well, be healed in the name of Jesus. And she quit shaking. And did you know that her getting angry was an important part of her healing? And the thing that made her passive was she thought it was going to be a progressive healing and she was just trying to be patient and wait on God. There's a lot of people that are waiting on God, but I'm telling you, God's not, you aren't waiting on God. God's waiting on you to stir yourself up and to get violent and take these things by force. God's already given you healing. God's already given you prosperity. God's already given you all of these things and you have to stir yourself up and get angry and reach out and take it. You're the one with authority and power. It is our lack of exercising our authority that is stopping God from doing things. God wants every person in here to prosper. God wants your life to be awesome. 
You know, if you don't wake up in the morning and just think, God, this is so awesome. You're so good to me. I am so thankful for everything you're doing. If you just aren't overwhelmed constantly with the goodness of God and the way your life is going, then God's will is not coming to pass in your life. Some of you think, well, man, that's an indictment against me. It's not meant to condemn you. It's meant to let you know that, you know what? God did not ordain a mediocre life for anybody. God never made a piece of junk. You are created in the image of God and God has a supernatural plan for every single person in here. Now, God's got different plans. He, he doesn't want every single person to be on television like me. He doesn't want every person to be a minister. He's got different plans for every person, but your, his plan for you ought to be supernatural. In your family, you ought to be seeing miracles. You ought to be seeing the male man raised from the dead. You ought to see the person at the gas station who falls over dead that you raise them up from the dead. You ought to be walking in the supernatural. You may never stand behind a pulpit. You may not do what I do, but your life ought to be supernatural. If your life isn't supernatural, it's superficial. And I don't say that to condemn a person, but I'm trying to goad you. I'm trying to motivate you that God's got something bigger for most of us than what we've been experiencing. And I'm telling you, Jesus died to deliver you from this present evil world. People ought to be able to look at you and say, man, that's God. They ought to be able to look at you and, and your life should not be able to be explained apart from God. You shouldn't be on the same medications that people that don't have a covenant with God are on. You shouldn't have the same fears. You shouldn't be as poor. You shouldn't be struggling. You shouldn't be, people shouldn't, you shouldn't be afraid of heights. You shouldn't be afraid of this. You shouldn't be afraid of that. The Lord has delivered us from a spirit of fear. And yet there are so many Christians that have phobia. I meant Christians that can't touch the carpet. They just, they just freak out. They have a obsessive compulsive disorder. What is that? OCD? I thought if they were really obsessive compulsive, it ought to be CDO because that would be alphabetical order. Amen. <laughs> But anyway, they're just Christians that have all of these same problems that everybody else has. I'm telling you, God made us to be victors. God wants you to be an example. This, I'm not saying that you don't, I have problems. I've got things that I'm dealing with. When it comes to other people, you don't have total control over them. And sometimes it takes time to stand and see things work out. There are some things, like for instance, prosperity. You could make a stand right now and begin to resist the devil and believe God, but there, are, there is a law of sowing and reaping. Seed, time, and harvest. And it's more like seed, time, and then harvest. And there are some things that take a period of time. And so, you know what? You can't just make a stand tonight and say, I'm gonna prosper. And then if it doesn't come to pass by tomorrow, then you're gonna say, well, it didn't work. You know, there's some things that it takes time and you have to learn the laws that govern. You have to sow before you reap. And there are some things that, you know, can, that when you're dealing with other people, when you're dealing with prosperity, ministry, you can't microwave your ministry. It takes time to grow and have God. There's some other things. I'm not telling you everything that I know tonight, but I am saying that most people 
are just advocating their responsibility. They are settling for something less. And you're going to reach the end of your life and look back and say, I played it too safe. You know, I've read surveys where they ask people right as they're dying, what would you have done differently? And there's nobody that I've ever read about that says, you know, I wished I'd have played it safer. What they say is, I wished I'd have taken more risk. I wished I'd have done what I really wanted to do instead of being afraid to step out and do what's in my heart. The people that have regrets are people that didn't go for it. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, this isn't a dress rehearsal. This is the real deal. Every day, part of your life is ticking by. And there's people there. You know, I can't relate to people who get up and go to work and they hate their job. And they talk about it's blue Monday. And then on Friday, TGIF. If that's you, you're missing God's will for your life. You ought to be doing something that I mean is exciting and you are excited about Monday because you're able to get in and finish what God has given you to do. You're making a contribution. And again, you don't have to be a rocket scientist. I know a guy who collects trash. He's a garbage collector. And this guy testifies all of the time that God called him to be a garbage collector. And some people think, well, he's not shooting it much. Well, he says, somebody's got to collect the trash. We'd all have disease if we didn't have trash collectors and garbage collectors. I'm doing a service and the guy sees his position. He gets to talk to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people and he gets to lead people to the Lord and help their day. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. But I'm saying he's doing it as unto the Lord and he's got miracles. He's got people that have been born again and people that are baptized in the Holy Spirit and healed because he's out collecting their garbage and talking to them. I'm not saying you have to have this position that makes you big in the eyes of the world, but I am saying that, you know what? You ought to feel like God called me to do this. This is something God led me. You ought to know what God's will for your life is. And I've ministered on this hundreds of times. And if this is a typical group, I, would, I dare to say that there's probably 80% of the people sitting right here that you hope your life is glorifying God. You want it to be a blessing but you don't have the assurance that you're doing what God told you to do. You just are doing it because this is the way it worked out. It just happened. And your life, you're kind of like a pinball. You just pull the thing back and launch it. And then it just boing, 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 boing. It depends on what it hits and where it goes. And you just, and this is the way your life is. And you didn't have any control over it. It just happened. I'm telling you, if that's the way your life is going, you do not know God's will for your life. It doesn't happen accidentally. When God reveals his will to you, he's going to show you something. It's going to be beyond your ability. It's going to have risk involved in it. And you're going to have to step out and take some risk, take some steps of faith and run faith and run the risk of failure. And you will see God come through, but it's not going to happen automatically. It won't happen accidentally. It doesn't happen by fate. You have to pursue God's will in order to get it. I can say that based on my testimony, the testimony of many people. I can show you that from Scripture, many, many different things. But I'm just saying that, brothers and sisters, I'm trying to stir us up tonight. I believe that God is saying that He's got more for you. He wants you to be living an absolutely supernatural life. 
He wants you to prosper spirit, soul, and body. He wants you to be a vessel for his miraculous power to flow through, that people could look at you and they'll say, man, you're different. What's different about you? I've known people before that were in situations where they were in ungodly circumstances and you pray for them, wonder how they're doing, and you say, how was it? Did anybody persecute you? And they say, oh, no, nobody ever knew I was a Christian. That's sorry. Everybody ought to know you're a Christian. Everybody ought to realize there's something different. And you don't have to necessarily get up and just get your soapbox and preach, but people ought to be able to see, you know, why aren't you bothered? When the economy tanked, how come you weren't afraid of losing your job? How come you aren't upset? You went through a divorce or something happened and you didn't fall apart like a $2 suitcase. You kept praising God. What's wrong with you? Why aren't you like everybody else? Your life ought to be different. And yet the average Christian is not experiencing this, not because God doesn't will it, he gave himself to deliver us from this present evil world. But you have to become violent. You have to get mad at the devil and say, I'm just sick and tired of being sick and tired. I'm not gonna live this way. You need to do something. You know, it reminds me of the lepers over in 2 Kings that the city was besieged and they were getting to where they were selling animal dung for people to eat and putting huge prices on it. People were eating their own children. And finally, these four lepers said, what are we gonna do? If we sit here, we're gonna die. If we go into the city, we'll die because the famine is there and there's no food. Let's go out to the enemy and disclose ourselves to the Syrians. And the worst they can do is kill us. <laughs> says, we're going to die anyway. And so they went out to the Syrians and ran a risk. Did you know most people would say, but you could be killed. They were going to die anyway. A friend of mine, Dave Hinton, I know Rick and some other people were just at this meeting and Dave Hinton, the doctor came in and told him that he, they had to amputate his leg. And he says, no, I will not be defeated. And he refused to give him his leg. And then the doctor says, you aren't taking this seriously. He says, you're going to die. And, uh, and he looked right at the doctor and he says, so are you. <laughs> he says, it's just a matter of when it happens. But see, some of us, I guess, think we aren't going to die or something. So these, these lepers, they were in the process of dying. If they went into the city, it was a guarantee that they were going to die. So they said, let's go out and show ourselves to the Syrians. And the worst they can do is kill us. Man, that's impeccable logic. That is great logic. And did you know when they got out there, the Lord had caused the Syrians to hear a noise and they thought that the Egyptians had been hired and they ran away. They didn't even take their animals with them. They left their tents set up. Their fires were still going. The food that they were cooking was still there. And these lepers went out there and when they got there, all the Syrians were gone. All of their goods were there, their silver, their gold, their raiment. They started taking all of this gold and burying it and then got all of the food and ate it. And they ate until they couldn't eat anymore. And finally they said, well, let's, you know, we're doing wrong by hiding this. Let's go back and tell the people in the city what happened. And they became the heroes. They're the ones that brought deliverance to the whole thing. They went from being outcast to being the heroes, to having gold and silver, raiment, 
abundance, food, and all of this because they finally said, what are we going to do? Are we going to sit here till we die? Let's do something. And I'm saying the same thing to you tonight. How long are you going to sit there until you die? You got a house and it's comfortable. And you know, I talked to one woman tonight and she's taken early retirement five years early and praise God she's going to do it because God told her to come to Bible college. And she says, but I just want you to pray with me because I'm going to make one third as much money as I made before. And she's, you know, she's going to do it, but she was concerned and I just prayed with her. And you know, here's the way that I look at that. God Almighty speaks to you and tells you to do something. I mean, what an honor is that? God Almighty has got millions and millions of people that are vying for His attention. He's got a universe to run. He's got all of these things to do and He takes time to speak to you and tells you to do something and then you're going to debate whether or not you do it. Man, to have God Almighty talk to you, what an honor that is. And if God told you to do it, forget the results. Who cares? But I could lose retirement. Who cares? But my family's going to think I'm weird. Who cares? I've had people before say, but I've got two dogs. What am I going to do with my dogs if I go to school? Our director says, we have dogs in Colorado. You could bring them with you. I just said, kill them. Don't get mad at me. I'm a dog lover. I've had dogs. But I'm saying that if it comes to an animal standing in between me and doing what God told me to do, I'll just leave them. I'll turn them loose. I'll do something. But I don't, nothing is as important to me as God speaking to you. There are some of you that God has spoken things. If you had to make a decision right now, if you didn't have any restraints on you, money, what people have to say, your spouse or your retirement or or whatever, if you had no restraints and if you just could do whatever with no fear of anything, many of you would be doing something different than what you're doing. God has put things in your heart and you've let life and circumstances talk you out of it. And I'm telling you that it's, that's not the way it's supposed to be. If God has put a dream in your heart, if God has given you direction, He won't show you the end result. He won't show you step one through 20 because then you become guilty and liable if you don't do it. He'll just show you the first step. And that way, if you refuse to do it, you aren't as accountable for all this. He loves you. He's making it easy on you. He'll just show you things one step at a time. But some of you have things in your heart that you know there's something more than what you're doing. And yet you're afraid to step out. I'm telling you that. I don't even relate to that. Man, I'm going for it. I'm, I'm so far out there on a limb that if God doesn't come through, I'm dead. Amen. I've obligated myself to paying $53 million over the next couple of years debt free. And you know what? If God doesn't come through, I'm dead. But it'll happen. You hide and watch. It'll work. But there's some people, well, I would never do that. That's the reason you aren't doing much. Amen or oh me. 
I'm not saying these things to be hard on you. I'm trying to stir you up and motivate you. And I'm saying, brothers and sisters, there's huge potential. God has never made a person to be a failure. God is, you know, when you die, somebody ought to miss you. If you aren't living on the edge, you're taking up too much space. You ought to be stretching yourself and doing something, and yet most people live their life in fear, not doing what they dream, not doing what they believe God wants them to, but playing it safe. And I'm telling you that, man, you need to go for it. We need you to go for it. You've got gifts and talents and abilities that we need. People in your circle, you may not do what I'm doing, but there are people that'll never hear of me, but they know you. And if you don't start living up to your potential, they'll never be reached with the gospel. They'll die sick. They'll have poverty. They'll have problems going on. Every one of us needs to start living up to our potential. God's got something for you. And it's more than what most of us are experiencing. God doesn't want you to have to be concerned about the retirement and about all of the medical expense and stuff. Just get healed, amen. Get to where who cares what they do with all of that stuff. You don't need that. Man, I know some of you are just like, you're strange. You're weird. Well, I think you're weird. You know what? I took out some insurance because my, my uh, board made me do it in case something happened to me that the ministry would be able to pay off their bills and do things. So I've got that, but I don't have any personal insurance. I hadn't been sick in 43 years. I'm not going to get sick. I don't believe in getting sick. And I know some of you think, well, that's not smart. Well, you just hide and watch. But you know what? By the time you see that it's working in my life and I'd be 120 and my eyesight's not dim or my natural force abated, you'd be gone. It won't work for you. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Man, I hope you haven't been condemned by what I said. I'm just trying to goad you, trying to prod you to do something. Do something lest you do nothing. Amen. Praise God. Father, we love you and we are just so thankful for your word. Thank you for these scriptures that you gave yourself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil world. That, Father, you want us to be above only and not beneath the head and not the tail. That it is your will that we prosper and be in health even as our soul prospers. That you supply all of our need according to your riches in glory. Father, we just thank you for your abundant provision. And we ask your forgiveness, Father, for limiting you. For being afraid to step out for not taking our authority and allowing the devil to just steal from us piece by piece. Father, we're sorry for giving our consent and cooperation to living a substandard life. And Father, I just believe that the Holy Spirit takes these things we've talked about tonight to stir people up, to help people make a decision that praise God, I'm not gonna stay this way. Thank you, Jesus. We hope your heart has been quickened by hearing the Word of God through this message. 
It's the faithful support of people just like you who make this ministry possible. We invite you to prayerfully consider becoming a partner with Andrew Womack Ministries. You can call our helpline at 719-635-1111. Or you can write us at Post Office Box 3333, Colorado Springs, Colorado 80934. Remember, you can always listen to Andrew's messages at awmi.net. Until next time, we pray that you'll reach out by faith and receive everything that's yours through God's grace.